Thanks for tuning in to Three Strands Podcast. You're about to hear an episode from our Sunday morning worship service. To learn more about Three Strands, visit our website, threestrands.church. Yeah, so I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, A Few Good Men, and I hope you weren't going to cover this because we've not talked about this beforehand, but uh, there's a classic scene at the end of that where they're in the courtroom with Tom Cruise and uh, Jack Nicholson, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, so they're, they're having this intense courtroom battle, and then he says, what do you want? Remember that? He says, I want the truth. And then the classic line from the movie is what? You can't handle the truth, right? And so today we've kind of flipped that, and uh, we're going to talk about you can handle the truth. And so I'm sure you've realized there's this ongoing intentional assault on, the, on our Christian worldview, just the way that we see the world. And it's been taking place in our culture for decades now, and it continues just to be revved up, ramped up, and it's gaining more and more momentum with each passing year that goes by. And it's an attack that's designed to convince us that everything is good, that's good, and everything that's beautiful, and everything that's true about God is actually not good, it's bad. Actually, it's not beautiful, it's ugly, and it's not true, it's a lie. And so today, it's our goal to just kind of push back against those lies and equip you, the church, to defend the truth. And so we want you to believe the truth, not to believe the lie. But we also want to be able to present the truth, to, you to be able to present the truth to the people in your circle, to the people in your life, without driving them further and further away, which is what so oftentimes happens. And so, listen, if people are going to reject Jesus, and they will, but if people are going to reject Jesus, let's make sure that they are rejecting his message and not our approach, if that makes sense. And so without realizing it, this assault has crept into many churches and into hearts of many believers as well. And we've even seen it in our own church. Um, it's dangerous, and it shows itself in, in many, many different ways. And so today, uh, we're going to expose um, some of those ways, and we're going to give you just an overview of how to best confront those distortions that arise in your life. And so he told you last week, we do something we've never done before. This is it. So for the first time in 10 years, we're up here together, and I don't know if that's good or bad, but he usually preaches about 45 minutes, and I go 15, and so I'm going to surrender my time, okay, and I'm just going to kind of ask questions and lead the discussion and let Dave answer them uh, from the scriptures, and if I have anything to chime in, I will. Yeah, uh, so the, the big theological word for what we're talking about today is called apologetics, all right? You become an apologist for the gospel, or a uh, if you went to a Bible college or a Christian college, you might have had a class called apologetics or they might have called the class defending your faith, okay? So how do you defend your faith if somebody asks you a question about it? That's a hard thing for most American church Christians to do today. Um, typically what they do today is um, they either give people 100% grace and 0% truth or they give them uh, 100% truth and 0% grace. Both of those are a failure waiting to happen. We're going to talk about that today. Um, but maybe you like me, and maybe, maybe me more than you, because I'm a pastor, I don't know, but get asked these kind of spiritual, moral questions by people in your life. Friends, family members, coworkers. I made a quick list of a dozen that I've heard myself personally, in the past couple years. And yes, I've been working on this teaching session for two years. Now you're thinking like, why did it take you two years? Because I'm not very smart, okay? So it took me two years to get ready for it, all right? But I've been looking for a way to like address this topic in our church for a couple years. God's been like exposing me to podcasts and books um, and just different thoughts in my own head as I've studied the Bible that we need to get this information to you guys as a church, and so I was trying to figure out how to do that. Is the best way to do that in our life group setting? Should we hold a members meeting? Or should we just tackle it like in a whole series? Uh, and then it just kind of landed on about five months ago. This date was on our calendar. And it was supposed to be a guest speaker today. And uh, I just kept looking at that date, just thinking like, man, that'd be the perfect opportunity to tackle this subject. So we canceled the guest speaker idea. And a couple months ago, started working on this idea. And just felt like it's so important for you um, because most people go to church, most Christians go to church, and never reach anybody else with the gospel. Never see one person come to faith in Christ because of their influence or their conversation. And I believe the reason is because we don't know how to be apologists. We don't know apologetics. We don't know how to defend our faith. 
to a world that asks us questions about it. Maybe we don't even realize that's what they're asking. But let me give you the dozen questions I've heard, just myself personally, in about the past year or two. I've been jotting these down in my phone to kind of keep track of them. But here's the ones I've heard. Maybe you've heard some of these. Maybe you've heard some of your own. Does God say homosexuality and lesbianism is wrong? Anybody heard that? I don't know if you've heard that or not. Does God say transgenderism is wrong? Does God say gender transitioning is a sin? Why can't I live with my boyfriend or my girlfriend? Why should I obey the Bible? How do you know there even is a God? Is God if God really loves me, then why am I so broke? I'm just, I'm just saying stuff I heard, okay? So if God is good, then why is there so much suffering around? Isn't religion just a man-made system used to get people's money? Why does God want to take away all my fun? How can you be sure heaven and hell are even real places? Hasn't science proved that God didn't create man? Didn't we all just really evolve from some primordial soup? Aren't all religions really the same at their core? Okay, those are just some of the questions I ask. Those questions, whether you recognize it or not, are somebody else asking you to tell them about the faith. Okay, in some form, they're saying, tell me about this God you say you believe in. Tell me about this Jesus you say you follow. Is he real or not? Why should I believe him? Why should I do what he tells me to do? Who is he to tell me what's right or wrong? Okay, these are all questions of our faith. They're all apologetics questions, okay? And so what we usually do is we're just like, uh, we shrug it off and don't answer because we're afraid we're going to ruffle feathers. Or... Um, we just kind of like support and encourage everybody no matter what they say. And that's not the right answer. Everybody can't be right, right? Truth can't be opposite. Okay, so that's what we're going to dive into today. And, and really, there's like a kind of a big idea I want to get to. And I, I want to encourage you to jot some stuff down in your phone. Take some notes. Write down some Bible verses um, that we shared today. Um, and then beyond that, write down some questions we're going to put on the screen. I think we're going to be able to help you to go out of here today and answer the tough questions you get asked, okay? And not just ignore them and not just lie to people, not just like placate them, all right? But really be able to answer them, give people evidence or proof that could change their life. So I would encourage you to like jot down some notes, ask some questions. We'll give a little time at the end for your own questions. If you've got a specific situation maybe you've been dealing with, like, wow, how do I address this? Or how do I answer this person? Or what do I say to not make this person hate my guts, but really tell them the truth? Like, we want to deal with all that today in a limited fashion because we've only got about 40 minutes to do it. So, um, but, uh, so that's kind of what we're going to tackle today, this idea of truth, okay? So let's, let's roll through some kind of basic stuff first to make sure we're all on the same page. We're going to do this kind of interview style. Kenny's going to interview me because, I don't know, he's I'm the closest like thing we got Walters to a sideline reporter at this church, I guess. But, all right, so he's right. got five questions I'm going to ask, and he's going to answer. And then, like he said at the end there, if you have anything you would like to ask, uh, we'll leave some time for that, hopefully, okay? So uh, real short here. The first one, just real simple, okay? People have asked this for a long time, right? What is truth? Okay, this seems like it should be a question we could all agree on but not in our world today, okay? So what I want to do is just give you the definition from the dictionary of what truth is. It'll be on the screen. Here it is. You ready? This is truth. That which is according with fact or that the uh, state of being fact, okay? Uh, I want to shorten that for you. I'm going to make it real simple. You ready? Here it is. Here's my definition. Truth is fact. Truth is not my feelings. It is not your opinion. That is the opposite of fact, okay? It doesn't mean your feelings are fake. It doesn't mean your opinion isn't valid. It just doesn't make it the truth, okay? So I just want us to be on the same page. And the reason I say that is because there are people who would look at a red light and tell you it's green. doesn't matter what their opinion is. It's still a red light. You understand? F truth has to be the facts apart from my feelings or opinion. Okay? So I want to just share that so we're all on the same page with what we're talking about. Okay? We're going to dive into the topic of universal um, or absolute truth. Are there things that are true for everybody? But to do that, we need to be on the same page about what truth really is. It has to be fact. Okay? So that's, that's the first thing. All right, so go ahead. What else we got? All right, can anybody quote our mission statement here? There'll be a bonus prize if you can, besides my wife. What Stephanie, a cheater. 
No, she looks at it. So that doesn't count. That's right. I'm just kidding. Here it is, right? Our, our mission statement, everything we do, the why behind what we do is this. We're creating a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ. Okay? So just talk for a minute about where that came from and why it matters. Yeah. Anybody see the word truth in our mission statement? Does it matter? It's not truth, justice, in the American way. That's Superman, okay? This is our mission statement, right? So we're trying to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus. should have asked Brad to, to tell you what it was. should have put him on the spot. Yeah, he only knows the student ministry mission statement. That's all he cares he about. Up till 2 but, uh, yeah, that's right. but um, okay, so yeah, let me, let me just kind of back you up in case you weren't here at the beginning of our church. Let me kind of tell you where this came from. Um, this came from the Bible. We put a couple big ideas from God's Word together. We wanted to create a place where people could get to know the real Jesus and um, could be redeemed. Redeemed just means bought back. That they could come through the doors, be broken, be in trouble, uh, be facing difficulty, be uncertain about their future, and, and experience the real Jesus who could buy them back from death and give them new life, okay? So that's what we're trying to do. Every church service, every life group, every event we host, we are trying to create spaces. People are freed up, freed up to experience the real Jesus, now, why do we say the grace and truth of Jesus? That comes right from the Bible. I'm going to read it to you. It's in John chapter 1, verse 14. All of John chapter 1 is talking about Jesus, describing Jesus. Calls him the Word. I'm going to show you how it proves that it's him, okay, in just a second. But verse 14 says, So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of grace and truth. Now, what that means is that Jesus was 100% grace and 100% truth all the time. There was never a time when he was just one or the other, or 50% of each. He was 100% of each all the time. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. That's how we know it's Jesus, right? A couple of verses later, verse 17 says this, For the law was given through Moses, the law, the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So the truth isn't simply the law. It's something different than that. Like Moses gave us all the rules, all the laws, but Jesus showed us something completely different. How to be 100% honest and truthful with the people around you, while at the same time being 100% gracious and loving. And that's how we want you to answer people. If you want to answer people's spiritual questions, and have them remain friends with you, not think you're the enemy, not like your God but hate you, which is what Gandhi said, I have no problem with your Christ, it's just your Christians I don't like, right? And so, but we don't want to do that. We want to persuade people to follow Jesus because we know he can rescue their life. So we need to learn how to give them, like Jesus did, 100% grace and 100% truth. That's why that's our mission statement. If people come through the door and we just give them 100% grace, there are churches all over that do that. Here's what that looks like. No matter what you're doing, no matter what question you ask, we tell you you're right. We tell you you're doing the right thing and everything's all good and God just loves you and he doesn't really care what you do. Go and do what you want. But that's just the grace side of it. And if we do that, we're just enabling people to never be redeemed. Okay. There's other churches, and some of you have been in churches like this because I've heard your stories. There's other churches that give you 100% truth. And you walk through the door, and before they even say hello or shake your hand, they're telling you how you're breaking God's commandments. They're giving you all the truth they can give you, but they're not going to love you until you toe the line. And both of those are a failure. Giving somebody 100% truth with no grace is just judgmental. You're just judging them. The Bible's pretty clear that we're supposed to love everybody and we're not supposed to judge the world. It's God's job to judge the world. The Holy Spirit will judge them. So we've got to find this mix, not a 50-50, but of 100-100. You with me? That's why that's our mission statement. That's why we're having this session today because I'm afraid so many of us are getting asked these kind of questions and we don't know how to give people 100% grace and 100% truth. So I want to equip you guys. I want to give you some tools to be able to do that this week. 
All right, so you mentioned two verses there about uh, truth, John 1, 14 and, and 17. What else does the Bible have to say about truth? Yeah, hundreds and hundreds of verses, okay? I can't give you all of them. I printed a page. It's up here on this table. This table is all resources about apologetics, how to defend your faith, how to prove that your faith is legitimate, that there's evidence for what you believe. Um, you're not brainwashed. You're not just following a cult leader, right? But instead, you're looking at the evidence and you're making a faith judgment based on the evidence, based on the truth, based on fact, okay? That's what all these books are up here today. They're all different prices. You can buy any of them today you want for a buck. We're going to lose money on all of them because like we've said many times before, we're not trying to get something from you. We're trying to give something to you. We're not interested in getting something from you. We want something for you. You got it? So all, this, all these books up here, you can take any of them with you today. Just give one of us a buck for each of them. The only reason we're asking you to give us a buck is because we don't want somebody grabbing all of them and just taking them and wasting them. And I was really torn. I was like, I want people to take them, but I don't want anybody to waste them. So if you're not going to read them, just leave them for somebody that will, that wants to defend their faith, that wants to prove um, the existence of a Messiah who wants to redeem people and love people and give people the truth. So that's what all those are. But on the far end, I've got two pages. One page is just a list of all the verses we're talking about today, plus some extras that all talk about this idea of absolute truth, apologetics, the, the value of God's truth. But let me read you just a few of them. So you can hear from God's Word. And I know there's some people here like, I don't even know if the Bible's true. You might have one of these questions I asked. I don't believe there's a, a God or that this is His Word. But just bear with us for a second. For the folks in the room who do believe that, let me kind of cater to them for just a few minutes and read them some stuff from God's Word or from the Bible that talks about truth, okay? So here's the first one. Um, John 14, 6, Jesus said to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I'm a way, I'm a truth, I'm a life. He didn't say, I have the truth. He said, I am the truth. He literally is the truth. No one can come to the Father except through me. Here's why this is so important, apologetically, defending your faith-wise, because we live in this age of tolerance, but Jesus demands intolerance. Jesus is confrontational. And he declares his way is the only way. He cannot tolerate other ways. He cannot tolerate other truths. Nobody can get to the Father, to heaven, to God, except through the Jesus way. And our world hates Jesus, hates Christianity, simply because of that fact that we're telling them all ways are not valid. All roads do not lead to God. All religions are not created equal. We're preaching a message of intolerance, that Jesus is the only truth. And that's why there's disagreement in the world. That's why there's frustration from the world and the church. That's why they can't get along. All right, so number, number two, let me read you John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. Jesus says to his followers, the truth is what's going to set you free. Look, he said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus is letting us know what actually frees us from bondage, frees us from slavery, from captivity, is the truth. So it's important, right? Okay, let me look at Ephesians 6, verse 13 and 14. If you're a Christian, you're told to defend yourself against the attacks of the devil every day. And the very first thing that God tells us to do to defend ourselves against the attacks of the devil, Ephesians 6, 13, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after, you, after the battle, you'll be standing firm. Now look at the first thing he tells us to do. Stand your ground putting on the belt of truth. So we're somehow supposed to arm ourselves, clothe ourselves, protect ourselves with the truth. So if we don't know the truth, the facts, if everything's equally valid and we just believe anything anybody says and we just kind of coddle people so that they won't be upset, then we're not protecting ourselves against the enemy. You got it? You see where I'm going with this? Okay. And then let me read for you John 13 or John 17, starting in verse 13. This is a fascinating 
Um, fascinating story. Um, so Jesus is in the garden. Um, he's praying to God right before he's about to be executed. I've shared some of this passage with our church before. And you get this insider look at Jesus' conversation with God the Father right before he's killed. And what he does is he starts praying for all of his followers. He's concerned that they're not going to be okay once he's taken away from them. So he starts praying for his followers. Now this is this conversation between him and God. Now kind of buckle down, be a good student of the word, and listen to this conversation Jesus has with God. He says, um, now I'm coming to you. I told you many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world. So he's concerned for them, right? He sees this, this disagreement, this hatred, this tension between his followers and the world. And so he says, they, the world hates them uh, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. You see what's going on here, right? You see Jesus is concerned for his followers. He's praying that God would help them, protect them um, along the way, not remove them from the world, but protect them, right? And then you get to... Uh, um, he would keep them safe from the evil one. Verse 16, he says, They do not belong to this world any more than I do. And in verse 17, look at verse 17. Make them holy. Holy just means separate, unique, distinct. Make them separate and unique, purely different from the rest of the world. And how is he going to do it? By your truth. Teach them your word, which is the truth. Teach them your word, which is the truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can then be made holy by your truth. Okay, what am I saying? Stay right there just for a second. Let me piece it all together. Oh, and just in case you would think he was only talking to like his closest 12 or his closest 11 followers at that time, he ends the prayer in the very next verse, verse 20, by saying this, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. This is his prayer for us, that God would make us holy through his truth. So here's all these pieces. Let me put all, there's hundreds of them in the Bible. But just think about it for a second. Just the few I've read today, right? God uses truth, the facts, to set us free, to get us to God, to make us holy and unique and separate. He uses his truth to protect us from the enemy every day. Like that's how important truth is to the Christian. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, it's this vital. We have to know the truth. All right, so that's just some passages. If you want some more, you can take them up here. That's free. Just take them um, with you when you leave. I've also got a little half sheet up here of a bunch of books you could buy. If you want some other books on this topic of apologetics um, or, or kind of defending the faith, there's some other resources up there on that list. You could check them out. You could probably buy them all on Amazon or Christian book. But you could grab these ones up here for just a buck if you want some we got, okay? Here's another one. I'm going to share some stuff a little later. This book's called Truth Matters. I just read this this week. So good. It's the only copy I got. So if you want to buy, I think it's like 10 bucks on Amazon. If you really want it, you can borrow mine. I mean, I prefer you to borrow it like real borrow, not like Kentucky borrow. You know what Kentucky borrow is? Kentucky borrow is like when you give somebody a tool and then they think it's theirs for the rest of their life. Some, I don't know how that happens. but So I'd like it back if you don't mind. But you can borrow mine if you're the first one up to me. I don't care. Uh, or you can buy it. This is a perfect book if you're like a high school or college student and you have to now or you're going to have to take like a religion class in college and the teacher's going to just like bash your faith. It's a great book for that. Great book for that. Or if you've got a, a, a kid or a grandkid that's going to be in that situation, great book for like just some basics, really small, not hard to read. And um, it'll just give you some basics on like how to combat some of that stuff that's getting hammered to college students across the country about how Christianity is ugly and damaging and it's all lies and God isn't good. It's a good book for that. So you can borrow mine or you can buy that. Truth Matters It's on that list too. But um, yeah, that's, that's all the passages I wrote down to kind of share today. So what else you got, Kenny? All right, so he's right about the Kentucky borrow, but the Pennsylvania <laughs> borrow sounds like this. Hey, can I borrow a hammer? What's a hammer? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Just kidding, I was on side note. That John 17 he was reading. If you get some time today, go read that whole chapter because we've always been taught like the Lord's prayers and you know in the gospels, and that's just where Jesus was kind of teaching his disciples how to pray. 
that stuff's where he was actually praying. And that part where he prays for us, even in the future, I think is incredible. So if you get time, go back and read through that whole chapter. But um, all right, so it, it seems like you don't have to be on social media very long for it to feel like or seem like that everybody disagrees about everything whether that's political issues or mor morality or whatever, or whether the Dodgers are better than the Yankees, whatever. It's just people are just griping, disagreeing all the time, it feels like. So why does it seem impossible uh, for people to agree on what's true and then what's not true? Yeah, that's a good question for you guys. You might want to like, jot some of these thoughts down, or maybe you've had some of these thoughts on your own. But doesn't it seem like that? Just, why is it so hard for people to agree? Why is it so hard for everybody to get along, right? Um, you think like, if we're supposed to be so tolerant of each other, and we live in kind of this most tolerant country of all time, is how it's presented, then why can't anybody seem to get along? Why does, like, why does all the people that watch CNN hate all the people that watch Fox News and vice versa? Like, why can't we just agree to disagree and still be friends? Why does disagreement now equal hatred? If you don't support me and you don't agree with me, why, do we, why are we enemies now? And that's a great question. So I'm going to give you an example from the Bible. The short answer to that is this. You ready? That God teaches, if I'm going to go off of what God says for right now, okay, just for right now, stay with me if you're that person here. It's like, I don't even know if there is a God and all that. Stay with me for a second. But God would teach us that the reason that happens is because our wickedness, our sin, our disobedience suppresses the truth. Okay, Romans chapter one, you can read it for yourself. I think it's word for word from Romans chapter one somewhere in there that uh, the wickedness of humanity suppresses the truth. Okay, and, and so everybody knows that to be true practically. Let me give you an example of that. Everybody in the room has probably seen somebody who's doing something super foolish with their life right? They're, they're gambling away all their family's money. They, they get drunk every weekend and they go out driving. They've had seven drunk driving accidents already or, or uh, they, they've slept around on their spouse. They keep cheating behind their spouse's back. And everybody else in their life that knows about it looks at them and thinks to themselves, why are you doing that? You are wrecking your life, right? right? Everybody's known somebody like that if it hasn't been us ourselves, you know. Everybody's known somebody like that, that everybody around them can look at the choices they're making and think they are wrecking their life. But yet that person doesn't see it, do they? Everybody's known the addict that everybody else can tell should be at rock bottom, but somehow they themselves don't see that they're at rock bottom, because as we sin, as we choose wickedness, as we disobey God, we suppress the truth. That, that's the short answer, I guess, of why we have that disagreement. So because the world hates Jesus, because he's confrontational, because he says he's the only way, because he refuses to present all religions as valid and equal, because he says he is the only truth there is, because of that, and because they hate him because of that, because they don't follow him but do their own thing, that wickedness then suppresses the truth. I want to show you an example from, from the, of it from the Bible. One of my favorite examples from the Bible, it's often overlooked, it's the story of Easter, okay? So Jesus is going to be killed, and he's going to rise from the dead in the Bible, okay? Whether you believe it or not, that's the story that's recorded in the Bible. And the way this plays out at the beginning is the Jewish religious leaders arrest Jesus, and they want him to stand trial, but they don't have the authority by the Roman government who rules over Israel at the time. They don't have the authority to execute anybody. So in order to have somebody executed, which is what they want to happen to Jesus, they have to have Jesus stand trial in front of a Roman court and be found guilty of treason or, or uh, anarchy or trying to overthrow the government so that they will execute him. So they bring Jesus to Pilate, a guy named Pilate. He's the governor over Israel at that time. So Pilate um, is questioning Jesus. Now, these, this, this is like kind of fascinating because this gets overlooked in the story because usually it's told around Easter and we're focusing on Jesus's death and resurrection. But this trial is fascinating. So they bring Jesus to the governor's palace or, or headquarters and and they won't go inside 
because they're only a couple days away from the Sabbath day, one of their holy days, and it's also the Passover, a holiday. And so if they go inside the headquarters or the home of a Gentile, this Roman governor, they'll be unclean by Jewish law and won't be able to celebrate the holiday in a couple days. So instead, Pilate, the governor, comes outside to meet them. He interviews Jesus, asks him some questions in front of these accusers, these religious, Jewish religious leaders, and Pilate kind of concludes Jesus hasn't actually done anything wrong. And so he's like, are you sure you've got the right guy? Are you sure you want me to kill him? Are you sure you want him to be guilty? I can't find any fault in him. He's kind of perplexed. They keep insisting. Pilate then goes back inside of his headquarters by himself, probably with some guards, you know, or some soldiers. And he asks to have Jesus brought inside to him. So now they're going to have kind of a one-on-one. You you get it? Because these Jewish leaders wouldn't go in. So now you get this second interview of Pilate and Jesus. I want to read you that interview, okay? So Pilate, just him and Jesus having a one-on-one. The religious leaders can't chime in. And here's how that goes down. It's in John chapter 18. If you want to write these verses down, look at the whole um, interview or whole trial later. John chapter 18. I'm going to start in verse 33. It says, Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews, he asked him. Why is this important? Because if Jesus claims to be the king, then that means he's trying to overthrow Caesar. And then he can convict him of high crimes and treason. You understand? So he's asking him, are you really the king? Are you saying you're the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, is this your own question? Or did others tell you about me? He's wanting to know if Pilate's thinking this himself. And Pilate says, am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people, the leading priests, they're the ones who brought you to me for trial. They're the ones saying this stuff about you. I'm not saying it. I don't care what Jews think. I feel like I'm above them. I'm a Roman. You get it? So he's like, no, I didn't didn't think this up on my own. They're They're saying this about you. I'm trying to decide if it's true or not, if it's true or not. You you understand? Okay. So that's what's going on. Uh, He said, um, so then Jesus, uh, he said, Why? What have you done? He's asking Jesus, what have you done to make these guys bring you to me for this trial? Jesus answers him in verse 36. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. That's code for, I'm not trying to overthrow Caesar. You see that? Instead, he says, if my kingdom were an earthly kingdom, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Okay. So Pilate said, so you are a king. Is that what you're saying? He's trying to like weed through Jesus's words here. So you are a king, Jesus. Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, listen to what Jesus says about why he's here. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. And then he gives this fascinating line that often gets overlooked because it's not the purpose of this story. But look at what he says to him. I looked this up in like seven translations and I went back to the Greek to make sure we weren't misinterpreting it, right? Listen to what he says. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. And then Pilate has this amazing follow-up. He's like, what is truth? What is truth? This isn't like a new thing. It's been going on for thousands of years. This idea of like truth Who can even know the truth, Pilate's saying. Truth is in the eye of the beholder. Truth is whatever Caesar says. Truth is whatever I say when Caesar's not around. That's what he's really saying to Jesus. Truth. But did you see the line? Go back to verse 37. Did you see the line Jesus gave him? I was born to bring the truth to the world. And then he says, all who love the truth recognize what I say is true. Why is there so much disagreement in the world? Why can't people agree and get along? Because there are people in this world who do not love the truth, who do not want the truth, who do not want to know it. And thus, Jesus is saying they will not be able to recognize that what he's saying is the truth. There's this friction, and it's always been that way. And it's always going to be that way until the end of time. That's the, the long answer, I guess, of why, and an example from the Bible of it. You get it? There's always going to be this friction of those out there who don't want to know the truth. I don't want somebody else telling me what to do. 
I don't want to submit my will to others. I don't really care what Jesus says or what the Bible has to say. I'll be my own deciding factor. You get it? And when they do that, they suppress the truth and they are unable to recognize what Jesus says is truth, which is why to us, to somebody else, it may look like, of course it's the right true thing to do to stop getting drunk and beating your wife. Of course. But to the wife beating drunk, he can't see the truth. Do you get it? We've all seen it. Everybody's witnessed it. Okay, so that's why that friction exists. What else you got? Anything else? Yeah, last one here. So those four questions kind of lead up to this last one here, the kicker here. And it's, it's what he read off at the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. How should we answer? How should we answer people who ask us what God thinks about something in our lives? Yeah. Uh, it's a good, it's a good book. This book right here, I only got one copy left. Vertical Church, it's like a $20 book. You can have it for a buck, right? Vertical Church. In this book, I only put these books up here because we've read them, okay? If I haven't read it, I try not to put it out because I want to know what it says. But this book here, super good book. One of my five favorite books I've ever read. It's even on our website like that, right? I think that's one of my books on the website. But um, in this book, he presents this interesting idea of how we get distracted sharing God's gospel with people who aren't ready to hear it because we love them. But the truth is, people you love may not be ready to accept the truth, Right? Just like we talked about. So that's why it feels like you're beating a head, your head against the wall sometimes with the people you love. And you're like, why don't you come to church? Let me tell you about Jesus. And they're like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. This is why. For, for whatever reason, they're not ready. Now, I, I don't know if this is 100% true. I haven't done any research. But he proposes in this book that almost everybody over the age of 18 that becomes a Christian, almost everybody, not all of them, but almost all of them, becomes a Christian because at some point in their adult life, life starts to stink so bad that they finally realize they can't figure it out on their own. They get a medical diagnosis, somebody dies, life isn't going their way, they can't hold down a job, they're broke. Things get so awful that they finally realize, I can't do this by myself, I, I need another answer, okay? So I, I want to say, like, first of all, there is a person out there that you can share the truth with endlessly and they won't come to Christ. You, you just got to recognize that now. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with them. They're just not ready to receive it, okay? Uh, but beyond that, like, I want to try and help you address these people. So I'm going to show you a video clip. It's offensive if you're like a, a, you know, I don't know. I don't even know what to call it. If you grew up in church, maybe this will be offensive to you. This is like a Kenny kind of clip because there's some cursing in it. Anytime Kenny preaches, you know he's banking a little cursing from the front of our church. I did my best to bleep it out, okay? So, but I want you to hear it because it represents very accurately what I think the world thinks about God in general, all right? I, wa I want you to hear it. So this is from a, a show called The Young Turks. Anybody know The Young Turks? If you're on like YouTube a lot or TikTok or anything like that, okay. So The Young Turks, they do like a political show. But they're not on TV, so if you're older, you're never going to see them if you're only watching TV. But they're on, like, you know, every other social media platform, right? But they hate God. They hate God. They're basically atheists. Um, and so they, they try to never miss an opportunity to bash Christianity in their political commentary. But I want you to just watch one minute of a clip I saw just a month or two ago from the Young Turks um, online. So here you go. Yeah, okay. If you're offended by that clip, Sorry. But I felt like that was a good way to get at what I'm about to say, okay? I'm going to say something that maybe a lot of other pastors in our county wouldn't agree with, all right? I don't know that for sure. I'm just guessing. But what she said in that video, I agree with almost 100%. She doesn't care about what God's Word says. And for me to open up my Bible and be like, let me show you what the Bible says, is the wrong conversation to have with her. Do you understand? And when people in your life come to you and they say, does God say it's wrong for me to be homosexual? Does God say it's wrong for me to move in with my girlfriend? Does God say it's wrong for me to cheat on a test so I don't fail this course and have to repeat it? Does God say it's wrong for me to steal food to feed my family? You can fill in the blank with any number of does God say blah, 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 blah. Okay? If I get my Bible out and I show them in the Bible where God does or doesn't say that's right or wrong, I have failed them. 
That is the wrong place to start. I know that sounds contrary to everything you've learned if you grew up in church or a good church, but I want to explain to you why I'm saying that. And I'm going to give you guys some tools. If somebody asks you one of these moral questions, one of these spiritual questions, I'm going to give you two questions to ask them first, okay? And here's why, because most of the people out there believe what that lady just said. Now, they may not say it as angrily or as harshly or curse in it, but they believe that. In fact, there are people in our church that believe that. They evidence it by the way they live. They don't really care what the Bible says. They don't care about faith or religion. That's their choice. They will stand before God someday, not me. I won't stand before God for them. We will each stand before the Lord. So that's on them. But it is a mistake for me to pull out what I think is the truth and share it with them as if they believe it's the truth. Do you understand? And the reason that's happened is because of about 400 years of American laziness. I see, we haven't even been a country 400 years. You could trace this back to before we were a country. When the first settlers got here in this country, we've been practicing for about 400 years laziness and apologetics because we could get away with it. Because for about 400 years of the history in North America, we could assume that everybody we're talking to believes there is absolute truth and that God gets to decide what it is. But that is not the case in our country anymore. And, and I just jotted down last night, I looked up, and I'm going to prove it to you right now. I looked up a, a research poll from Pew Research Center. It said in 1990, 90% of the United States 90% of adults in the United States identified themselves as Christian. In 2007, 78% of the United States adults identified themselves as Christians. And this year, 2022, 64% of adults identify themselves as Christians. In 10 years, if the rate stays the same, 41% of the United States adults will identify themselves as Christian. It is a lie to believe that we live in a Christian country anymore and that people believe the Bible is true. Now, I believe the Bible is true. I believe it is God's word. So, but, and, and I want to share with them what the Bible says. But to share with them what the Bible says before they believe it's actually the words of God and he gets to call the shots is just making enemies. And maybe you've experienced that. Hey, is it wrong for me to have sex before I'm married? Well, the Bible says it is wrong. And now all of a sudden you're enemies. Where did it go wrong? I told them the truth, but they don't believe that's the truth. Okay, so from now on, I want to give you a tool I think will help you. Here it is, simple tool. You ready? Somebody asks you a, a spiritual question, a moral question. Is this right or wrong? Here, just say to them this instead. I'd love to answer that question, but before I do, will you answer two questions for me? Here's the first one. Is there absolute truth? In other words, is there truth that is true for everybody on the whole planet? Or is there nothing that is universally true? It, hopefully they'll understand what you mean. I know it's a little deeper of a question. In other words, is there anything that's right or wrong for everybody? Regardless of opinion, regardless of feeling, is there anything that's right or wrong for everybody? And if they say, most people are going to say yes to that, just for the record. They're going to say yes to that. Okay, If they say no, then I would give them some examples. Are you saying that there's cases when it's right to murder? Maybe they'll say yes. Maybe they'll say no. I don't know. Are there cases when it's okay to molest a four-year-old? I want to know. I want to go to the extreme and find out, do you believe there's anything that's wrong or right for everybody on earth, regardless of how they feel? That's absolute truth. If they say no... Then I'm going to say, then why do you care what God thinks about what you're doing? If there isn't anything that's right or wrong for everybody, then why do you care what God says is right or wrong? You understand? It feels like you're just trying to pick a fight. I don't want to fight with you about our faith. Let's just be friends. And then I'm leaving that conversation right there. And I'm going to pray for them. And what I'm going to pray for them, listen, if I'm being honest, if you're here and this is you, I'm sorry, but what I'm going to pray for them is that God will let their life stink so bad that eventually they'll realize they need somebody to help them with it. 
And then they might be ready to hear something different than what they think. Do you understand? But if I open up my Bible and says, yes, God says it's wrong to blah, 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 blah. But they don't think this is the word of God and they don't think he gets the, the right to tell them what's right or wrong. What am I doing? Okay. If they say yes, which most people will, then I'm going to ask them a follow-up question. The second question is this. Here it is. Ready? Who gets to decide what those true things are? I just want to hear what they say. And there's only about seven or eight things people could say. The majority gets to decide. Culture gets to decide. I get to decide. God gets to decide. Um, you know, I don't know. My parents get to decide. I don't know, something like that. You know, <laughs> my wife gets to decide. I don't know. <laughs> but there's <laughs> like seven husbands be like, that's how it is for me, you know. But um, okay, if the answer to that question is anything other than God, okay, then I'm again saying to them, then why do you care what God thinks? It, it just doesn't make sense. It's incongruent to talk about it. If, if there are things that are true or right or wrong for everybody in this world, but God doesn't get to decide what those are, why do you care what his opinion is then? Do you understand? You understand where I'm going with this? Now, if they agree that yes, there is absolute truth, and yes, God gets to decide what those things are, now I'm getting my Bible out. Because this is God's word. So now we can have a conversation about what God says. That, that makes sense, okay? But if they say no to either of those questions, I'm not getting my Bible out yet. You understand? Because I don't want to have an argument about uh, premarital sex or an argument about homosexuality or an argument about money. That's a waste of my time right now. So what I want to do is I say, can I tell you, I appreciate you answering those questions. Can I tell you what I think about those two questions? And I'm going to just let them know, I think there is absolute truth. I think there are some things that are right or wrong for everybody on the whole planet, no matter what they think or feel or whatever the people say. And I believe that Jesus gets to decide what those things are. Now, I get it that you disagree. I get it. We disagree on that. I don't hate you because we disagree on that. We can still love each other. We can still be friends. We can still talk to each other. I will still pray for you even though you don't believe what I believe. But I, can I tell you why I believe that? Can I tell you why I believe there are things that are true for everybody and that Jesus gets to decide what those things are? You understand? You, you with me so far? Okay. And here's the reason. Carson, you remember what the reason is? Carson's like one of the only people in the room who's heard this twice from me already. Because I said it at camp a couple uh, summers ago, and then um, I'm preaching now. Kenny, I stood up. I couldn't sit back down. All right. You remember what it is, Cars? No? You too busy looking at Noah's eyes? Oh, he doesn't, he doesn't even, he wasn't listening. He bratted me. He doesn't me. even know what he's asking. He bratted me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm going to tell the person, I'm going to ask the person, can I tell you why I believe there's absolute truth and why Jesus gets to decide what those things are? And there's only one reason. There's no other reason. And, and if you could do this, I will drop all of my commitment and faith to Jesus and follow you instead. Ready? Jesus came back from the dead. That's it. The only reason I follow Jesus, the only reason I've decided he gets to decide what's right or wrong for the world is because he came back from the dead. That's it. If he hasn't, I wouldn't follow him. I wouldn't give him my money. I wouldn't give him my time. I wouldn't give him my allegiance. And if you can die and come back to life, I will follow you. I will give you all my money. I will give you all my time and all my allegiance. All you got to do is take your own life and raise it back up like Jesus did. Okay, so now, if, if the person actually wants to have a real conversation, their response to that might be, how do you know Jesus died and rose from the dead? All right, everybody listen who's a Christian in the room. You ready? That is the conversation I want to have. You understand? I don't want to have a two-hour conversation about what the Bible says about homosexuality until we agree that Jesus is the source of absolute truth. The conversation I want to have with the world who doesn't love Jesus and doesn't know him and follow him is, is Jesus really the Son of God? Did he really rise from the dead? Because if he did, then he deserves our attention. You understand? That's the conversation you want to have that none of us are getting to because we're either hammering people with our truth that they don't buy into or we're placating them and avoiding the truth because we're scared we're going to cause ripples in the relationship. 
Do you understand where we're at with this? All right. We could go on forever about this. I don't want to do that. Stephanie's like, oh, we could talk for hours about this. I, I could, two years I've been thinking through this because I got so sick of just answering people's questions who would ask me these questions and then them treating me like an enemy. I'm like, what's going on here? And this is what's going on. They don't believe this is the truth. They don't believe God's word is the truth. So until we can get to that agreement, there's no point in telling them what is or not, what is or isn't right or wrong for them. You understand? Okay. So real quick, I want to end today. If it sounded like I was angry there, I'm not. My wife always tells me I sound angry. That was passion, not anger. Passion, not anger. Okay. So uh, what I'd like to do is just open it up for you guys to shoot us some questions. If you've got a question that you think we didn't cover or you'd like some clarity on, now is the time, right? We're just going to take a few minutes, um, answer a few questions. I don't know that there's a more important subject for the church of God today than this subject. And so, like, you know, we want to, like, answer those questions. That's why we put some books out here for you guys to grab. That's why we provided some Bible verses and resources for you. There is a way to defend your faith, and we want you to know it. Uh, And this is where it starts, okay? So if you've got a question, raise your hand, and our uh, uh, Vanna White will come bring you the mic. Yeah, Vanna I'll, White, Cameron, just look it up. You'll see. Look it up. I'll Oprah Winfrey here. So if you have a question, raise your hand just so everybody can hear you. We'll give you the mic, and Dave will answer there. I was just like the counseling major to have a question. You didn't answer your question. Okay, let's hear it. What was it? You said, okay, they'll say, oh, why do you believe? And you said, because Jesus came back from the dead. So what if they're like, how can you prove that Jesus? That's a great question. I'm going to give you, let me give you, um, let me give you, there's a, okay, I'm standing up so, so that um, Stacy can see me. Yeah. <laughs> so there's at least 15 great reasons why I believe Jesus came back from the dead, okay? I don't have time to give you all of them today or to dig into detail on all of them. Let me give you a quick list of, put them on the screen for you, okay? Here you go. You ready? I'll just give you a quick couple lines on each one. You ready? Here's the first one. The empty tomb. Now, The empty tomb of Jesus doesn't prove that he rose from the dead. But the full tomb of Jesus would prove that he didn't. Okay, so that's why I'm starting there. Does that make sense? And and, and so as soon as Jesus was claimed to have risen from the dead, everybody that hated his guts tried to figure out where he was. Tried to say it was something different that had happened. Tried to prove that it wasn't really a resurrection. Um, All they had to do to squash the whole Jesus movement was produce the body. You with me? So I'm not saying that doesn't prove he rose from the dead, but it's essential to prove he rose from the dead. Does that make sense? So that's number one. And, and I, would, I would challenge you to pick up a couple of these books. This book does a great job summarizing some of those things. This book right here details a lot of those evidences, right? I don't have time to, we definitely don't have time to do that today, T, you know? So, but, but you can read that. But I'll just give you a quick kind of summation on each one. You ready? Number two. The use of women as eyewitnesses. This is a horrible idea. If you're lying about Jesus rising from the dead, if his disciples and apostles were just crazy, radical cult followers, if they were all hallucinating or tripping out on some drug, claiming that women were the first people that saw him risen from the dead is foolish. They weren't even allowed to testify in court to what they saw during that time and culture. So that makes no sense. So the fact that they were the first eyewitnesses, in fact, when, they, when the, the women who first got to the tomb and found the empty tomb show up to tell Jesus' closest, staunchest, most committed followers that he wasn't there, that an angel told him he had risen, they thought they were crazy. Jesus' closest followers. So if you're going to start a movement of skeptics, it's not going to start with a bunch of women 2,000 years ago in Israel because they didn't believe them, right? Okay, so that's... Evidence number two. Uh, evidence number three, the totality of all the eyewitness account, that there are literally more people who claimed in, in writing, in historical writing, there are more people who claim to have seen Jesus alive after the Romans killed him than people in writing who claim they saw George Washington alive. But there's nobody walking around that doubts whether he was alive. Right? Okay, as I'm just saying. So the totality of the eyewitness testimony, all, all you had to do is find a bunch of people who'd start lying and saying he wasn't risen from the dead. Why couldn't they find those people? There were enough haters to execute them. 
But everybody kept saying, I saw him, I saw him, I saw him, I saw him, you know? Okay. So evidence number four, the torturous death. This for me is the most conclusive piece of evidence, by the way. The torturous death of all of his followers, his closest followers. So Judas is gone because Judas betrayed him. He got 11 disciples left. 10 of those 11, 11 of those 12, if you want to add Paul, who was later added as an apostle, 11 of those 12 died saying they saw Jesus rose from the dead. So they were put to death because of it. So either all 11 of them were insane or they died for something they were propagating as a lie. Now you say, somebody might say like, well, lots of crazy people die for a lie. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. But not if it's a lie they made up and know it's a lie. They all die for a lie believing the lie is the truth. So they, the lie they died for would have been Jesus rose from the dead. So they all died believing Jesus actually rose from the dead. So either Jesus managed to accumulate 11 crazy adult men who were willing to die for something they, they made up, or they actually believed Jesus was risen from the dead. You understand? Like, that's fascinating, you know? All right. So evidence number five, go back to Paul. The conversion of Paul. The fact that Paul became a Christian and said twice, I've seen Jesus face to face. The fact that he would say that is evidence because he hated Jesus. He was executing people who said they were following Jesus. He would have no incentive to say, I saw the risen Jesus and I'm now giving my whole life to him. And then he would lose his life because of it. Like, it doesn't make any sense. You understand? Okay, so that's evidence. And then evidence number six, the rise of the church. Everything about the, res the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus is the exact wrong way to start a religious movement in that time. Even now. If I was going to get up front and pretend to be a cult leader and tell you guys to follow me like Jesus did, the way to have you follow me wouldn't be to go die and then 40 days later vanish and have you try to convince everybody I'm back. Nobody would believe you. It's crazy. So the whole idea of like, in fact, execution at the hands of the Romans would work contrary to the claim that he was the Messiah to deliver them from Rome. So they would be like, your movement would stop at the execution. So making up some story about like, there's a Jesus and he's back from the dead. Well, let me see him. Well, he went back to heaven now. It's foolishness. Like nobody in the Greek world would buy that unless, unless there were all these people who really saw it happen and were willing to give their very lives for it to convince the rest of the world this really happened. That's just six I wrote down. There's probably 15 in some of those books. Uh, and they dig into all the historical proof and evidence for all this stuff. Hey, can I prove to you that there's a God? Absolutely not. Can you prove to me that there isn't? Absolutely not. Can I prove to you that Jesus rose from the dead? No, I can't. Can you prove to me that he didn't? No, you can't. But I can show you all the evidence that he did. And the evidence is overwhelming that he did. It takes more faith to believe that he didn't than to believe that he did. And if Jesus rose from the dead, then he's something I'm not. He's the Son of God. And so I deserve, he deserves my allegiance. You understand? So that's just six, six quick ones. Um, you can't prove it, but we can look at all the evidence. And the evidence is overwhelming that Jesus was who he said he was and that he actually rose from the dead. Hundreds of people saw him. Hundreds. And dozens of people wrote about it outside of the Bible. Why would they do that? Unless they actually saw somebody who'd come back from the dead. Because wouldn't it blow you away too if you saw it? Who would die for that except somebody who really saw it? Maybe one or two crazy people. But all these people? All these people? And then they'd walk around the rest of the world saying like, Jesus died and rose from the dead. And there's still hundreds of people around who saw it if you want to ask them about it. You wouldn't do that if you were trying to propagate a lie. You'd be like, well, I'm the only one who saw it. So you have to just take my word for it. No, they're like, all these people are still living. Go ask them if they saw them or not. The evidence is overwhelming. But this is the conversation you want to have with people who are asking you moral questions. Because this is where you're going to find agreement. This is the real gospel. I know we went really long today. This is so important. We could have stretched this into like a three-week series probably. It's so crucial. If you want to talk more about it, I'd love to talk with you about it. Um, grab a book on your way out. Uh, let me pray for you and then we'll be done. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth. 
Thank you for your word, which is the truth. Thank you that you are so trustworthy that I can know with all, when I look at all the evidence that you are good and true and beautiful. And no matter what the world says, no matter how our sinfulness will suppress the truth, I can run back to your words and trust that they are the truth. No matter how I feel or no matter what opinions I hear, no matter what the majority tells me, simply because you've proved it to me by rising from the dead. God, I pray for the people in our room, if there's anybody here that doubts your existence, that doubts your claim of deity, that doubts your validity to tell us the truth and give us the absolutes of life, the, the rights or wrongs for us, that they would examine the evidence for themselves and decide if you really are who you say you are. Decide if it takes more faith to believe in you or a bang. Decide if it takes more faith to believe in you or to believe that there's nothing after death. What takes more faith, God? Would you convince our group today? And would you give us the confidence to go out of here and defend our faith? Not, not based on something people don't believe, but arguing and reasoning from the truth, from a point of strength, God, that our faith can be defended because the evidence is overwhelming. Help us, God, to see the truth clearly, to have ears to hear it, eyes to receive it, uh, and help us just to embrace your truth today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you guys for being here. See you next week. Thanks again for listening in on the Three Strands podcast. If you've never visited us in person, we'd love to meet you face to face. We gather every Sunday at 11 a.m. at the McCreary County Park building. We hope to see you soon.